everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ho in the Know. I am a gastric burp eruption Selena. <laughs> and I'm uh, intimately aware of uh, the demise of the earth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Corey. <laughs> Corey, yeah. <laughs> That's Corey. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, this is a podcast by sex workers, for sex workers all about the sex work and uh we can really just talk about whatever we want yeah. we're joined today with adri how are you doing i am fantastic thank you every episode we begin with a segment we call historical hoes and this week's historical ho is jeff gannon i got my information from wikipedia a very good source Jeff Gannon was born James Dale Guckert on May 22, 1957. Between 2003 and 2005, he was given credentials as a White House reporter. He was eventually employed by the conservative website Talon News during the latter part of this, this period. Gannon first gained national attention during a presidential press conference on January 26, 2005, when he asked President George W. Bush a question that some in the press corps considered, quote, so friendly it might have been planted. Uh, the question was, how are you going to work with people who seem to have divorced themselves from reality? Gannon's question was ridiculed on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart inquiring, who is this muckracking Jeff Gannon who is holding the president's feet to the fire so that he can more easily give him a reach around? The question was also derided by a number of bloggers who considered it an excessively differential, deferential question for a reporter to ask at a presidential press conference. After the January 26, 2005 press conference, scrutiny into his personal and professional background by news organizations and blogs began. Gannon came under public scrutiny for his lack of journalistic background prior to his work with Talon, but soon his time as a sex worker was uncovered. Gannon said that he has been stalked and that his family has been harassed. Gannon is alleged to have registered several internet domain names, including hotmilitarystud.com and militaryescorts4m.com and posted naked pictures of himself. Apparently, Jeff Gannon had previously worked as a $200 an hour gay sex worker who advertised himself as Bulldog. When these ads became public, Gannon refused to specifically address them, just admitting that he had made mistakes in his past and that White House officials knew nothing about his salacious activities. On February 8, 2005, Gannon resigned from Talon News and shut down his website, jeffgannon.com. Continuing to use the name Gannon, he has since created his own official homepage and worked for a time as a columnist for the Washington Blade newspaper, where he confirmed that he was gay after he was outed. In April 2006, Gannon appeared on television on the television program Lie Detector, submitting to and passing a polygraph test while asserting that he was not a White House operative. Most recently, Gannon operated JeffGannon.com, a blog where he criticized those who exposed him, the, quote, old media and the, quote, angry gay left. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yes. Accusing them of promoting a double standard. The site has since been taken offline and the domain expired. He published a book titled The Great Media War in 2007. And that is the life of the very controversial Jeff Gannon, this week's historical hoe. Because you had a bad date last night Ooh, how was your date what was it was amazing she's so cool and she's a rugby player oh that's hot and i think she's gonna listen to this podcast wow shout out to you person that i'm dating (laughs) hot hot Uh, i love i love a nice a strong 
strong one, strong person. Yeah, yeah. Biceps. Yeah, if you don't look like you can pick me up and like throw me into a wall, I'm not into it. Yeah. I was looking to lose the deposit on my apartment. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah. How are you, Selena? Oh, man, I've been going through some relationship stuff lately and it's heavy on my, uh, heavy on my noggin. Mm. knocking on my noggin for people who cannot see into the podcast this is not a visual podcast no. it is just the vibes and of our voices um yeah it's it anyway it's hard to live this life um but anyway <laughs> yeah life is hard i think uh it's it's yeah but mm. yes how, what have you been up to audrey um oh my god this summer is it's summer in my brain because Mm -hmm. um i'm on an academic calendar of course Mm. Um, but the last few weeks have been interesting but also really enjoyable because i'm not i just found out that i won't be teaching anything over the summer so i can kind of focus almost entirely on what I want to do, which right now is absolutely nothing. <laughs> mm. uh, I love that. I hear that. What are you studying right now? So I'm a sociology grad student. Um, my research is pretty much focused around uh, financial institutions and social media platforms and how they target and really over-police sex workers post-SESTA-FOSTA. Um, also do some work, mostly in my free time, with returning citizens and men who are coming out of prison oh that's amazing what incredible work work. yeah thank you were you always inclined to do that sort of thing or was it like a was there a turning point for you yeah um so it's funny I when I went back to school um in 2017 I actually didn't want to study sex work at all uh, I didn't want anything to do with it. Academia was supposed to be my way out of sex work. Obviously, that did not happen. <laughs> um, but my intended research focus was the rise of white supremacy and white nationalism in Western Pennsylvania, the Rust mm-hmm. Belt, the Midwest, that sort of thing. Yeah. And very quickly, I came to the realization that that wasn't going to happen because I was... I'm undeniably a Black woman, so there was no way for me to really become a part of the community that I was studying. So my only way forward was to make a really big target of myself. And I didn't want to do that because that's just terrifying. I didn't want to get hate crimes. (laughs) So (laughs) I decided to go with something that I had already kind of had an interest in. And this was just before slash just after SESTA FOSTA was signed into law anyway. So it made a lot of sense to focus on something that I had prior knowledge of. But also, I had outed myself to my academic advisor. So I got really lucky in that I didn't get hate crimed out of my department. And God, yeah, <laughs> there's like so many different opportunities to get hate crimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a woman, black woman, child of immigrants, a sex worker. Yeah, all of those things. Um, <laughs> Now, I outed myself to him, and I was slowly outing myself to other people in the department because it's a very small department, so it would have come out eventually. Um, But I got very lucky, and I got a lot of support in my department and from the faculty, so it made it a lot easier to just settle into uh, studying sex work. Mm. Do you feel like the... Do you feel like academia is changing around um, the sex work narrative, um yes but that could be both good and bad um I think that I don't want to word this um I think that a lot of departments that are probably inclined to be more liberal so sociology psychology um some healthcare, some liberal arts stuff and critical theory yeah I think that there's definitely a it's kind of required at this point, the conversation around sex work and sex workers is changing because a lot of people, especially in academic settings, either are sex workers or they have 
a lot of proximity to people in sex work. And so the people in the departments, the demographic is changing. And so the conversation around it is changing. At the same time, I think, I mean, we all live through SESTA-FOSTA. We're living through it currently. So we also know that over-policing is becoming more common. People of color, especially trans people, are being targeted more than ever before. And academic institutions are just a microcosm of the larger society. So all of the stuff that's happening outside is happening inside of universities as well. Mm, true as fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember like um, when I was in college, it was such a mix to see how the teachers, how the professors like reacted to sex work and sex work narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to an art school and so there were a lot of strippers mostly, but there were also escorts and pro-doms and everybody in between, honestly. But some people were much more low-key about it uh, as, you know, one must when you're in Target uh, Mm -hmm. when you're doing higher risk sex work. But anyway, like I had some professors who were very sensitive and on board and had the terminology and the experience and we're pointing out people who are kind of like academic art whores, like Annie Sprinkle types and stuff like that. And, uh, and, um, then there were other people who were very like, I don't understand why anybody would do this. Like, especially why any woman would decide to do this with their bodies. Mm. (laughs) Um, very much on that, like sex work is inherently exploitative kick rather than, you know, accepting that there's a lot of nuance to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so um, let's just backtrack a little bit. Um, how did you get into sex work? Um, so it's a fun story. Uh, I would say my first introduction to sex work, I didn't actually know what sex work was. Um, but when I first went to college as an undergrad, um I started out as a sugar baby, which I think is a lot of people's introduction, whether they're engaged in it or not. But this was 10, almost 11 years ago. So obviously it it wasn't something that people were talking about as sex work. Um, It was just a thing that girls in college did, right? You had an older, rich boyfriend, the air quotes around boyfriender, yeah I did that because I was working as a tutor and it was funded through No Child Left Behind which was a disaster for a lot of reasons that I'm not going to get into but the program <laughs> that I was <laughs> the program that I was working in lost its funding and I had no source of income I was a full-time student and I didn't really have an idea of like how to make money. And someone was like, well, you're hot and you're cute. So, you know, you can date rich guys. I was like, okay. So I did that. (laughs) And I very quickly realized that I hated it because it's 24. It's like being a hooker, but you're on call 24 seven. Yeah. With uh, so much more emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So very quickly, I realized that wasn't for me and I kind of fell out of it, but When I moved to Miami, I, or when I moved back in with my mom, I'll say, um, I realized, I I matched with a guy on Tinder. That's what it was. I had been thinking about doing full service sex work for a while, but it was kind of weird because I was living with my mom and Mm -hmm. I didn't really have the money to move out, but I matched with a guy on Tinder And his very first message to me was, I'll give you $300 for a blowjob. And I was going to block him. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, don't be stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I think I was looking at an apartment that was $600 a month. And I was like, $300, that's half your rent. rent, Don't be dumb. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's also like, how many free blowjobs have you given out? Exactly. (laughs) And I mean, I kind of went back and forth with him for a little bit, but it ended up with him offering me $450 and he paid for my Uber there and back. And I was like, you know what? It would be stupid not to do it at this point. So that was 
my first opportunity to go to the yacht club in South Beach. It was fantastic. He paid me in cash up front. And I was like, there's literally no reason not to do this. And so I started doing alcohol only and very quickly had amassed a couple grands and I had moved out and I was living on my own and it was fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Like having money is so nice. The immediacy of it too. It's just like, I mean, we put a lot of feelings into how we conceive of sex, but like actual sex acts are relatively quick a lot of times Mm -hmm. unless you have a duration client (laughs) yeah okay that first guy that I matched with on tinder I spent a good 45 minutes on my knees and I could not walk the next day oh my god but (laughs) I made $450 for an hour 45 minutes of work that's Mm -hmm. you know tens of yeah it's okay uh, that I could walk was there much talking leading up to it at all like or was it just Um, like you got there he dropped his pants and was like this is the thing that you that you do can you please address this so I got the impression that he had not done it before or if he had it was very infrequent um which isn't saying much because like that was my first time quite literally being a hooker um but we met in the lobby and he gave me an extremely awkward one-armed hug (laughs) then we had a drink he got me a glass of wine in the bar which was actually that was when I realized that I like dry wine as opposed yeah. to sweet wine. There we um, go. It was a very expensive wine, one that I never could have afforded on my own. But um, we had a glass of wine and then we went upstairs and he like showed me around his apartment. And I remember being mind blown because my entire one bedroom apartment could have fit in his living room. And he had two beds, two baths on wings on either side of the living room. And I was just like blown away. And I was like, how much do you pay for something like this? He's like a couple million. I think it was when I bought it. And I was like, I don't even have a frame of reference for this. But we talked talked a little bit and then we just got into it. Did you know any other sex workers at that time? Um, I did, but almost entirely online. This was before Mm -hmm. Tumblr went through its great purge. So, like, I had kind of built a community because I had been sugaring before that. So I did know other escorts and other sugar babies on Tumblr. Um, But I didn't know anyone in person because even then, it wasn't really something that you, like, bonded over. Yeah, I mean... It's still like, I still feel like there's a lot of um, just taboo and stigma around getting specific about what you were doing, you know? Right. Mm. So from there, um, where did you go next? Did you continue like finding kind of full service clients? Did you work with this person again? Did he become a regular? Um. So funny story. I never spoke to that man again. I left... Um, I left a vibrator in his apartment and I wanted to go back and pick it up because it wasn't cheap and like I never heard from him again and he unmatched me on Tinder which I don't understand because that was a great blowjob and it was worth every penny (laughs) that he paid but whatever (laughs) I never spoke to him again but I have a friend that recommended Backpage to me Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know none of us knew what we had until it was gone but (laughs) I paid like three dollars for a 30-day ad and that was the the beginning and the end (laughs) so whenever you were posting ads what kind of things were you listing and did you have face shots of yourself full body shots where were the images cropped or did you Um, not have any images I did face shots um I think I had one or two full body shots. This was before anyone really considered like content creation. Or, <laughs> what year was like, this approximately? Oh God, that was late 2015, early 2016. So 
I mean, no one was putting a ton of thought into it. Night flirt was still a relatively new concept. So like people were, and again, this is like peak Tumblr days. So people were still getting into like CSS coding and um, we were just coming out of like the glittery MySpace GIF era. So (laughs) ads were really basic and on Backpage, you couldn't actually do that much. Like you could do maybe some light like text enhancement. You could like make it bold or italics, I think. But any if you put too much in, they would deny your ad. So mm. it was relatively simple. I think I had two or three face shots and one or two body shots. All of my ads were exactly the same. And it was something like no pimps, no drama. <laughs> that was a selling point Um, very important (laughs) yeah and then of course no phone calls text only and these for me at least it was early days of screening so I think I said um text only and you have to send me a picture of your ID oh good Yeah. yeah that's smart I mean I definitely have made plenty of people send me like a screenshot or like a a picture of their driver's license or whatever, Mm -hmm. or just some other proof of ID or face, like uh, at least a face shot and some Mm -hmm. sort of identification just to keep yourself safe. I also just don't feel like in 2015, I was like doing a lot of FaceTiming, like or Zoom slash Skype. I mean, I guess kind of Skype. I was doing Skype. And so, yeah, I mean, did you, did you have like any other screening tools that you used? Did you do like talk to them before or how did you do that? Um, so I was incredibly lucky that I never got hate crimed or assaulted because I was, I had zero concept of screening. I just knew (laughs) that like my, okay, full disclosure, my uncle was a cop. He's retired now, but my concept of screening was based entirely on things that I had heard him say. So um, I would make them send me a picture of their ID and I would use context clues because I know how I knew and I know how cops talk. So anyone that wanted to explicitly get you to agree to exchange sex for money, immediate block, um, people asking for my real name immediately blocked people that didn't want to send their ID immediately blocked all those sorts of things, which is very bare bones, but yeah, that's not that bare bones. (laughs) A lot of people are not there. Yeah. I I think a lot of people don't think about that. Things like blacklist and um, bad date list and those sorts of things. If they were common, I did not know about them because I didn't have any, friends in the industry that were not online so it wasn't something that I talked about even then it wasn't something that you talked about online because you were always afraid that like um someone was reading your messages so a lot of stuff I figured out on the fly Mm. um but I mean that's also that's part of the business and I think even then people would ask they would like dm you um, how do you get into stuff like this? And I, my mm. thought was always, if you can't figure it out, you shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky because I do think that it is good to have like some some tips to do it properly. I mean, some people ask too many questions and mm-hmm. don't do their own research. And it's yeah. like, we have Google. <laughs> and it's like, you know, although it can be harder now with SESTA-FOSTA to like parse and find good information it's still like not impossible to find yeah there's some really good interviews from like sex workers um from like the 90s and like early 2000s that you can like find if like you do you know some internet sleuthing and like really you're passionate about getting into it not even passionate about it but like really need to yeah 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 Yeah. I think and I mean, even post-SESTA-FOSTA, I think we have reached a critical mass of information that is available online. So even if you're not directly asking people questions, it's not difficult to find bad date lists. It's not difficult to find the Client Eye app. It's not difficult to find information on stings. Like I was on Reddit the other day. There's a sex worker subreddit and people were posting about a sting at a hotel in Vegas. It's not difficult Mm -hmm. to find the information. And now that we are in in an era where sharing information can get you a felony, I 
think that due just <laughs> due diligence has to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. So did you only do um, a full service sex work or were you, did you ever get into like camming or? Um, I never did camming because I always knew that I didn't want to do sex work forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I am of the mind that once your face is out there, it's very, very, very difficult to ever completely move on. Mm-hmm. So I was always very adamant about not wanting to do porn and not wanting to do camming. Um, but I tried stripping briefly. And once I realized that you have to pay a house fee for the privilege of working, yeah. that was not for me. <laughs> um, really fucked up. <laughs> I'm not athletically inclined in that way anyway, but I, it's the same reason I didn't want to go through an agency. If I have to interact with cis men, I want every bit of my money. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I feel that it's funny. I have this new client um, and I have actually a very bad nickname for him, even though he's a great person. Uh, well, he's a great client. Um, <laughs> yeah. Different things. Different <laughs> things. Huge yeah. distinction. <laughs> <laughs> the world of difference between those two things. Um, <laughs> but he was like asking me uh, during the lap dance, he was like, you know, because I was telling him about the org that the various orgs that I work for at this point. And he was like, you know, well, how do you, you know, in, uh, get people like dancers to stay safe. And I'm like, what do you mean stay safe? Mm-hmm. And he was like, stay safe. Like, you know, like healthy. And I'm like, it's like, what do you mean healthy? <laughs> like doctors. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, do you mean like STI screenings? Is that what you're saying? And that was essentially what he was like intonating. And I'm like, wow, like, stay safe and stay healthy are such different concepts whenever you're like actually working for the safety and health of sex workers, mm-hmm. like versus what clients think it is, which is truly just how do you keep from getting STIs while doing sex work? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's so like the easiest part in a way. Yeah. Like that's something that you can personally do. And there like are resources that are like free for like STI screening and stuff like versus all of the other systemic issues like house fees and white men managing you and And over policing, being over policed and not being able to exist online. Yeah. (laughs) Like emotional health, like the way that clients drain you of your energy. Yeah. Yeah. Like some emotional vampires. Yeah. All the blackmail that you have if you Mm -hmm. like work in a setting where it's quasi legal. Stalking. Like stalking. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I mean, of all the things that stress me out as a sex worker, I think STIs was I don't know that I ever really considered it because there's a clinic on every corner in Miami and most of them are free and you can go in every 30 days and get tested and no one's going to question it in a city that has, or a county, excuse me, Dade County has the highest rate of new HIV cases in the country. They're begging you to go get tested. That was the last thing on my mind. Birth control was free because I had, um, I had gotten an, um, an implant so for three years at a time, I had birth control. And like of all the things that bothered me, I don't think STIs was ever a concern. The mm-hmm. pimp that decided to camp outside of my apartment, that was stressful. But yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> See, that's health and safety. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. yeah, it's it's just so it's really interesting. It's like you know, of all people, I would definitely say that sex workers think the most about sexual health in a way. Like, yeah. the, we're the most diligent about barriers and boundaries and not doing things impulsively because mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, I'm feeling like sexy and I want to get freaky right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm getting sexy because you have hired me to be freaky. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. these are my parameters for fulfilling that desire. <laughs> yeah. I saw yes. like a, a tweet that was like, I'm the reason that your boyfriend uh, 
doesn't have an STI or something like Whoa, that. Yeah. Like, exactly. <laughs> like I'm the like mm-hmm. sex workers like consistently get tested and like you know are showing this to their clients and then you know they pass it along Mm -hmm. i think that comes up a lot and my response has always been sex workers are not giving stis to clients Mm. yes it is clients who pass them on to sex workers because they are insistent on either completely ignoring your boundaries or they try to haggle with you well how much would it take for you to Raw dog um, right how, now. <laughs> I, how much would it take for you to have sex without a condom? What if I paid you twice your rate? Yeah. Are you going to pay me twice my rate? No, I don't understand why we're having this conversation. <laughs> I mean, it's even like even getting paid twice my rate. It's like I still don't trust you. Yeah. Exactly. You know? You're still like a person who's paying me for sex. Like you know, even if I know you relatively well, I'm still like, I'm not going to take that kind of personal risk for like work I guess no. you know like I'm gonna take other risks I take a lot of risks already <laughs> but that's one that I'm not gonna take <laughs> and I think but you know it's hard because so many people do need that extra cash mm-hmm. and you yeah. know they are like yeah double double my rate that's you know rent and a half or something yeah yeah you know. and I mean I always try to I I guess come from a place of understanding. I don't believe in rate shaming. I don't believe in shaming people who do have sex without condoms or who do services without condoms. Um, It doesn't actually, it truly does not bother me. I don't really care what you do um, as long as everyone involved is consenting. I think for me, and this is part of harm reduction, right? People are going to continue to have sex unprotected for any number of reasons. I think the bigger question is what services can we provide to people after a transaction has been made Mm -hmm. so that they are at less risk. If that's STI testing or treatment, then so be it. We should be more concerned about getting those services to people than shaming them for how they choose to conduct their business. Yeah. And so many STIs are are treatable. Like, yeah, exactly. Can... It's like Horrible STIs are not even. the end of the world at all. <laughs> like they're just totally normal. Yeah, and I, think, I mean, I, I, th- I mean, part of that is I think people just don't know what they're talking about when they talk about STIs. Um, people, mm-hmm. it comes yeah. up a lot. I get tested every sixty days because I'm not currently working, so there's less risk. But um, syphilis can lie dormant for decades. So when you yeah. say, "Have you been tested recently?" So what if I have? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of variability and also things like the various strains of all of the STIs and so many are not necessarily like going to be symptomatic or anything and they may never mm-hmm. be symptomatic and they are, may not even be really that harmful. Like they may just live in your body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it herpes? That, like, is There's like- a million kinds of herpes. Yeah. And, and most like- people have it? Yeah, most people have mm-hmm. it and only like maybe two kinds, two or three kinds actually have physical symptoms. Yeah. Can you get I think cold sores. Yeah, cold sores are um, – a- it's one specific strain of herpes. I don't remember which one, but something like I got the statistic totally wrong, but it's a not insignificant portion of the adult population that gets cold sores, but you might not see one for 10 years. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a normal part of life. Yeah. I think the thing is like, I just feel like as much as I don't know, like, okay, I get, I like whenever I'm like, oh, like if I take on this risk, like this client isn't really going to take on that same risk. And like they're not really going to like check in or most of the time like be there if something happens, you know, like say Mm -hmm. I have like an unexpected medical cost that I that happens because of something that we have. Like, I guess I just get a little bit salty about that. And that's why I'm like not as open to as open to things because I'm just like. You can just disappear and like not never yeah. put any care into this, and, mm-hmm. and like this is my business. And like if if I'm knocked out, like I'm not making work. any money. Yeah, like I can't work. Yeah. I don't have a fallback plan. I don't, ha- or I don't have like 
fallback insurance. I don't really get workers' comp for this kind of thing. Like, if only there was workers' comp. I know, right? I, know. Like, if I, I mean, um, the stripper who, like, fell that um, fell from the pole, like, mm-hmm. the super high pole mm-hmm. and, like, broke her something. Yeah, she lost her teeth and or broke her jaw and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, and, like, the I don't think the club covered it. But like she no. went on like a talk show and like, they- and then people, it's it's just oh. it's so upset because upsetting because it's like always whenever something bad happens, we have to crowdfund it. Like, then I'm just like, what the fuck kind of society is this? Like, we could just be crowdfunding, quote unquote, and that be healthcare. Yeah. (laughs) Like, we could be crowdfunding taxes to pay for this shit. It's just fucking blows my mind. Like, um, Americans at least feel like we need to have this kind of, like, agency with with certain, like, safety net things, uh, like healthcare and whatnot. And it's like, I don't understand this. You, you would donate to a GoFundMe. You might donate hundreds of dollars to a GoFundMe, but you won't donate like you won't accept like a, a healthcare plan that includes right. everybody. Right. Yeah. I I think about that often because the only time I've ever had a savings account and an emergency fund was when I was actively having sex with people for money because that was the only time in my life where all of my monetary needs were met, and now. Um, well, and as a grad, that's another thing as a grad student, I'm not considered an employee, so I don't get insurance Mm. through my university. So it's one of those things that has to come out of pocket. And as a freelancer, I'm already paying for everything out of pocket. So I have insurance, but I don't have dental and I don't have vision. So like I have to pay for those things myself, but as a sex worker, it was never a concern. I could afford a copay. I could afford to go get my teeth fixed like Mm -hmm. all those sorts of things that should be covered as someone with a quote unquote real job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The stability that sex work gives to people. is like incredible. Cause I mean, you know, you work at McDonald's, I mean the minimum wage has gone up, but like, you know, you work at McDonald's and like, you're not, you you slip and fall they don't really care no (laughs) you know and you have to pay for it and Uh yeah unless you sue it's like truly the only way to get companies to like actually care enough to pay for your falls or any workplace incident is to sue them it's like Uh it's yeah it's just fucking stupid another thing that i would rant about i (laughs) would like to rant about is uh how much of like every dollar that I earn, uh, what like my whatever hourly rate I get, like the percentage of that that goes to the prison system or to mm-hmm. the military yeah. or to the police? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> can I opt out? Like, can, can yeah, there, is there I a wish- <laughs> from my on my like tax forms right? to be like, like I don't want to support like, this? I don't no military spending i mean Mm -hmm. but then i feel like it would also be like the opposite with like republicans who are just like i don't want to fund public education Mm -hmm. and no roads and no healthcare. (laughs) yeah it's like a a twisted little thing i was ranting about how we pay taxes on unemployment which is quite literally a tax that comes out of your paycheck in the off chance that you cannot work through no fault of your own Mm -hmm. so (laughs) i've been on unemployment for the last year or so because of the pandemic and i had to pay taxes on it and now i'm waiting for the irs to be kind enough to give me some of that money back because now you get a tax break if you're on on unemployment which is mind-boggling to me but just all sorts of things my taxes go to Israel. I don't even think yeah, Israel right? should mm-hmm. I don't even think Israel should exist. I don't understand why my tax yeah. dollars are funding apartheid in the Middle East. Yes, but- exactly. <laughs> I'm just like, what? <laughs> How come I don't get to say no to things? And then yeah. I like think of uh what is it? Fucking Wesley Snipes and his fucking Yes conscientious well, objector as like I <laughs> the time that he's he served and shit just like Oh no. Because well, and that's he part of it like, and stuff. If extreme if corporations and the wealthy simply paid their taxes, we would not need to have a conversation about, well, 
how are our tax dollars being allocated? There's Mm -hmm. more than enough money in the tax base to pay for everything without slashing any current budget. However, Mm -hmm. rich people don't want to pay their taxes. Corporations don't want to pay their taxes. And so I think it's something like 99% of the um, lowest paid population provides more than half of the current tax allocation, which is ridiculous to me. One percent of the population holds more wealth than the other 99 percent. Yeah. Yeah. They're really, I don't, I don't understand why they are billionaires or trillionaires. I don't either. Like you don't even, you don't need, know you, what to do with money you, at that point. Yeah. There's no way you can feasibly spend that. Yeah. What would Like you can buy a country. Yeah. Essentially. Like you can become king. You can make yourself <laughs> king through capitalism. Yeah. I mean, those are monarchs. The people who control everything are people with extraordinary amounts of wealth that they will never spend and and they don't pay taxes on it <laughs> they're no. just they, so they can keep building their wealth um uh yeah it <sighs> fucking kills me this whole situation <laughs> like mm-hmm. i just you know this is just a little sidebar rant in our podcast <laughs> that is normally all about sex work <laughs> but it's also like it's the whole you know it's a whole fucking machine you know that we're involved in and that that works to oppress us, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But I mean, I, I don't think that this conversation is completely removed from conversations about sex work either, because the criminalization of sex work is the criminalization of poverty and vice versa, right? Yep. People trade sex because their needs are not being met through traditional employment. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That's not going to happen as long as the minimum wage is seven twenty-five. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's exactly how I ended up in sex work. Like it was because I was working for twelve dollars an hour, thirteen dollars an hour in a major city, and I was like, "How I are you supposed to afford? Can't anything? afford anything. Mm-hmm. I live in constant wage precarity. I cannot save any money because I need this money to live and have my basic necessities, and yeah. like I'm." It's just like the poverty hole just sucks you in. And like sex work is like one of those things that like you can kind of get out of the poverty hole like magically. Mm -hmm. And if you if you do go through the state to like get resources, it's like jumping through hoops and like it's it's close to impossible if you don't have somebody there to help you like fill Mm -hmm. out paperwork and do all that. So why not get paid under the table to like do sex Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean even if I I, even if you're like getting by on sex work I think that in and of itself is such a massive improvement over barely making ends meet in a minimum Mm -hmm. wage job and a lot of I mean $15 an hour in Allegheny County is not enough to disqualify you for food stamps. Yeah. 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 Which def- is wild because everyone's talking about $15 an hour. We have to have a livable wage. It's not a livable wage if you need help buying food. Yeah. Right? It's like people say $15 an hour is a livable wage. And it's like, no. <laughs> like you need more than that. You need like $30 an hour at least. Yeah, to, to like, be like comfortable. To be, like yeah. to maybe then, you know, get a house. To but- see a movie every now and then. <laughs> to, to get dinner every now and then. To have a family. I, to afford a child. To afford a fucking child. Like You need more than wild. $30 an hour to afford a child realistically. Yeah, I... I am so uh, thoroughly impressed by people who have children right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because how are you, like, managing to feed everybody? <laughs> In a society that is completely hostile yeah. to people who want to have children. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. And, you know, I – so I'm in the process of trying to buy a house because I'm tired of renting and I hate my landlord. Um Hey, congrats. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I figured now was a good time 
to look because unemployment is really the most stable income I've had in a while. It's the same. I know what I'm getting paid each and every time, but I looked at a condo that I fell in love with two bedrooms, two baths, and I only wanted 80,000 for it, which is a fantastic price because it's less than half. The mortgage would be less than half what I'm paying in rent right now. Mm -hmm. And I went and I saw it and I talked to the realtor and she's like, so the co-op board, which owns the building, um, they want you to have a hundred thousand more than the asking price in previous assets before you can make an offer on the place. And I was like, I'm a first time home buyer. If I had $200,000 in assets, I wouldn't be buying a condo. Yeah, right. For $80,000. What in, the fuck yeah, is that? In a college, and not even in the city, but in Oakland, which is where there are three universities and the property values are not great. If I had 200,000 in assets, I wouldn't be. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like also who has $200,000 in assets just chilling? Like, it's just, it's not that many people, realistically, like, and especially not that many black people. I just feel like it becomes this whole racial exclusion. And that's just sick. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely the point. Mm -hmm. I was listening to a NPR thing about um, the way that uh, racism happens in property uh, bullshit. Um, And like this woman, she like, she had like a amazing job. I think she was like a lawyer and like she, you know, she had, good income and all the, the the good things that in good credit and like you know savings and all of that and she had to bring her white friend on as a co-signer for the house mm-hmm. to get it because they she didn't qualify she kept getting denied even mm-hmm. though she was the perfect candidate yeah. for it like you know it's yeah. just yeah that's just truly the case and yeah, it's just I don't know. I mean, it's that's like white people don't really common. Yeah, it's like white people don't understand really what it's like to know that you're not welcomed in a place, <laughs> no matter how qualified you are. They're like, oh, just act like you belong here. Yeah, just like, act like you own the place. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, sure. Let me just act <laughs> like I own this place. Yeah. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, that's why those Karen memes are so apt. Like, where they're like, mm-hmm. "Can I speak to the manager?" Like, they walk in with such like um, um, ownership, entitlement, entitlement. Mm-hmm. Yes, entitlement over space, and like that's how they get away with bullshit. You know? Yeah, because but they're also just treated like they have that entitlement. Like they they of course will let you speak to a manager. Like of course you belong here. Like of course you're approved for this loan. Yeah, that's why I got to put my white lady voice on when I'm on the phone and trying to get things to get done. (laughs) (laughs) Now, and I was thinking about that, too, because when I was talking to the realtor, I said, is there like they want you to have 200,000 in assets. Now, is that because there's a minimum credit score? Because my credit score is 750. I'm not yeah. amazing. I'm not a high risk candidate. Yeah. <laughs> to my own detriment, my bills always get paid. My parents drilled that into me at a very early age. Always Same. pay my bills on time. Sometimes I pay my credit card twice a month if I have it. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, um, it's not, there's no minimum credit score. They just want you to have the assets. So the fact that I have never paid a bill late or missed a bill doesn't matter Ugh, it's just but so a white person up. with or anyone that happens to have two hundred thousand dollars which means one or two other homes they can walk in with a 620 credit score and be approved <laughs> they can't even get a bank loan to buy the place right <laughs> <laughs> like Oh, yes. Homeownership, something I I don't think I'll ever have in this lifetime. Um, I'm resigned to, to, I really want property. That's what Mm -hmm. I want. I want a piece Mm -hmm. of land because I'm willing to like put in the work of like building something like, you know, by hand, by myself or like with like a group of people who are like down for that kind of stuff and like some chickens. Mm -hmm. 
you know, a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I want to live that cottage core, you know, realness, but tender queer. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yes. But well, and I mean, I think that's part of it too. Um, my partner is disabled, so we'll never be able to buy a house together, which is a, a whole other rant that I have. But part of the reason that I was looking at a condo is because it's less work to own, but also mm-hmm. it being in the city would make it more accessible for him. Mm-hmm. So, like, I. I'm not crazy about doing yard work. I don't do yard work. I'm too hot to do yard work. I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. it's either it's either buy a condo or like buy um like a duplex or something. And I just these are the choices that I have. This is the choices that marginalized people have to make, right? Because you can buy land and you can build your own house, and that's fantastic. But then you then the question comes, well, how did you afford all of this land? How did you afford Mm -hmm. to buy your own house? You have, either you have neighbors that are incredibly nosy if you live in a city or like there's no sense of community around you because you have, you chose to live in an isolated location. It's a ridiculous proposition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at, at land prices and basically if I want to be able to buy land, I have to be in buttfuck nowhere mm-hmm. and like, and be in like the desert essentially mm-hmm. and yeah. like mine my own uh, water from the water table. And like, you know, there's no, the- it's hard. It's definitely hard. Like, I mean, I've been looking out there too in the desert and it's like, yeah, you have to drill your own well and shit. Like you have to mm-hmm. figure out how you're going to source all of your electricity mm-hmm. and you the neighbors out there it's like there's a lot of confederate flags and trump flags and stuff it's like yeah it's just a scary place to like be black and want to go to the country or just decide you have to because that's the only place where you can afford yeah (laughs) and i mean my um most of my family is immigrants um so my grandmother and my aunt they live in the suburbs and they have mm. well water. And a couple decades ago, someone poured bleach in their well. So what like the they fuck? they own their land, they own their property, and they have to buy bottled water. <laughs> oh my god! And like those what? are the sorts of decisions time. that you have to make. Yeah, I mean, it's just ugh, it's so sick what people do to like make people feel unwelcome to mm-hmm. to just poison your sense of. Um, security and your sense of home. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, and now it's um, Clover with a live update. This week, I went to the Brooklyn Museum, and the next day I went to the Met. The Met visit was for my friend's birthday, but she wanted to see the Egypt exhibit for um, a long time. Um, like probably two hours, which was sad secretly because I spent the whole day before at the Brooklyn Museum Egypt exhibit and I was at the Met for the Egypt exhibit the weekend before. So, but like, of course, I kept my struggles quiet and pretended I hadn't seen too much. Um, in other news, the cake place we went to in the Upper East Side gave us a free cake because we came in an hour before close. It was also dairy-free, so I could eat it. Um, And so, as you all know, I have been watching, or I had been watching Gossip Girl. I stopped because I could see that season six was going to be bullshit. So um, I cannot say that I watched all of it, but it was um, really uh, an experience. And especially whenever I finally got to go to the Met, I sat on the Met steps and I took... Um, selfies there but this was like maybe a month ago I guess I've been to the Met three times in the past month so um, but that other time that I went when I took pictures on the Met steps was actually not in order to go into the Met it was only so I could take pictures on the Met steps because of my reboot mentalities about Gossip Girl so um, what else there was um, 
I started uh, reading a new webcomic. Actually, I started several. It is to the point where I'm reading 10 webcomics per day. I read 10 chapters per day because I'm reading so many webcomics, so I'm probably reading 70 webcomics right now. This one is pretty good. Um, and what else? Oh yeah, and in a few minutes I'm visiting a friend, which is good and bad. Good because I love her and bad because transit in New York is expensive and I just bought myself new shoes, so I feel bad spending money. And that's all today for, that's all for today. <clears throat> XOXO Clover. So, okay. <laughs> so when did you stop doing sex work or are you still doing sex work? So I was kind of forced into retirement, if you want to call it that, because I am asthmatic. And mm. I, oh my God, the timeline on it is wild now that I'm thinking about it. But I got the flu spring break of 2020. So mm. early March 2020, I got the flu. And the next week, they closed down our apartment building because it was student housing. So they closed down our apartment building because a lot of the people in the building were coming back from spring break in Italy. And at that time, mm. cases were like astronomically high in Italy. So mm -hmm. our entire building was locked down. No one could come in or out. Um, and I remember going down because I was working in the office part time. And I went down and I was like, well, we have to set up a food pantry because people can't get groceries. So I started getting donations from people on Reddit and like some guy donated a bunch of giant Eagle gift cards. And I think that was the last time that I went outside the month of March when we went to Aldi to get stuff for the food pantry. And I want to say two weeks after I got the flu, they sent everyone home <laughs> and they like closed yeah. down the whole school. And I, I'm asthmatic. So while I was recovering from the flu, I was like, I'm going to take the month of March off so that I can recover. And then everyone was like, oh my God, the world's ending. And that was basically it. And I was like, I can't, I can't risk it. And I had talked to my doctor and he was like, it's not a question of if your lungs will collapse, but how quickly they'll collapse if no. you contract COVID. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah. um, I guess that's me done until there's a vaccine at the very earliest so now here we are a year later um I never made a secret of the fact that I never loved sex work it was simply a means to an end so I'm okay with being retired um but I'm also not opposed to returning mm -hmm. um once unemployment dries up yeah have you been vaccinated Yes, I was vaccinated in March. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> Congrats on uh, taking care of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. No. I paid like $80 for an Uber because the only way to get the vaccine was to go to Robinson Township. No, it was further than that. It was Moon out by the airport, which is an hour outside of Pittsburgh. Damn. Oh, wow. Or it's not an hour. It's an hour on the bus, <laughs> which is why I spent $80 on an Uber. Right. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, it's important. It is and, so important. And like also like understanding that people are skeptical and like mm -hmm. scared, you know, but I've been looking at like a lot of like disabled Instagram people and like, you know, they're like hey no please <laughs> please do this it's it's important like yeah you know even you know we're doing this and like we're getting like really horrible side effects yeah. but like it's more important that you know that we reach herd immunity yeah. it's like I try to be really respectful of like my friends who are very vaccine skeptical especially like black friends who mm -hmm. are and black sex worker friends as I'm like you know historically vaccines have have not been just and have right. really um used black people and discarded us um with no care yeah 
I try not to shame or be judgmental of people who are skeptical of the vaccine because I get it. Um, at the same time, I have a lot of disdain for people who are both critical of the vaccine and refuse to continue taking precautions like wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, um, I don't have like an official disabled label or anything like that, whatever that means, but mm-hmm. my immune system is garbage. <laughs> so if you are around me and you're someone who gets into arguments with service workers and you refuse to wear a mask and you don't want to wash your hands and all those sorts of things, you are telling me that my health means nothing to you. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to get the vaccine. I don't care, but I'm not going to be coerced or shamed into hanging out with people who have no concept of respect for other people's health. And I think that's a huge part of the conversation that's coming from disabled people right now. Like, um, I know our school has recently changed its guidelines so that when you're outside on campus, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. But when you're inside, you still have to wear a mask unless you're in like your dorm room or something. Mm -hmm. All Mm -hmm. of that is cool you will not see me without a mask until probably 2025 at the earliest. Yeah. <laughs> Outside, inside, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I feel that. Last night we went to a bar. We went to two bars, actually. And it was very strange. Like, there mm-hmm. were people indoors without a mask on. And, like, mm-hmm. it felt, mm-hmm. it was overwhelming and, like, you know, I don't have like autoimmune stuff that, you know, uh, affects my life, but I definitely mm-hmm. like was like wary of people who like would get up out their seat and like walk around the bar without a mm-hmm. mask on. And like, like we're still here. <laughs> like, like 2021 didn't like bring the, the end to COVID. Like, right. you know, a vaccine didn't bring it, it isn't going to bring the end. And we don't even know like how long, the vaccine is, is, is effective for like, you know, like sure you got it, but like, yeah, there's still a lot of unknowns with it. I mean, as yeah, with how long it works and if it protects against like some of the variants and how effective it is for people who have extreme immunity or uh, compromised immune systems and stuff like that. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And it's just frustrating whenever people are not diligent and just don't think about that. Like, don't think about people who are disabled. Don't think about people who have major medical issues and Mm -hmm. just like very cavalier and just think, you know, that it's completely a personal choice rather than you make this choice because you care about the people around you. That's an argument that I had a lot last year, um, where people were saying, well, it's my choice not to wear a mask. And I'm trying to get people to understand it's not your choice. And like my grandfather, my mom's father died alone in a nursing home with COVID complications because he had cancer and we were not allowed to go in and see him. And we could not even bury... like." At the height of the pandemic, if you died from COVID complications, you were cremated without any input from your loved ones. We didn't have a say in that. My mom still has not been able to scatter his ashes because we can't go to Jamaica and do that. So it's not just a choice that affects you. And I know that's like one of the things I heard was you're trying to weaponize your family's own trauma. I am because nothing else seems to get through to you Mm -hmm. people. Yeah, the choices that you're making do not just affect you. And that's what people have been saying for the last 15 months. Everything that we do as individuals has a greater effect on everyone else. We didn't get to 600,000 people dead because individuals were making choices for themselves. Right. Mm. Yeah. Well, on that note, you guys, we're we're coming to the end of our time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, let's just pause and think about um, a very young puppy and uh, her dog, her little tail is wiggling because she's so excited. Yes. And uh, she's licking her lips and just very, like, happy to see you. 
Yes. Oh, what a yes. wonderful image. Perfect. Okay. For cat people, my cat seven. Well, okay. As a cat person, I feel like I have to put this in here. My cat's 17th birthday was on. Aww. Oh my God. Wow. This is an Thursday. Old Her old 17th cat. birthday was on Thursday. Yeah. yeah. She's amazing. And she's an asshole. And I, <laughs> and I love her. <laughs> wonderful yes imagine a very old cat celebrating its birthday and, and by celebrating i mean sitting at the top of the stairs and like glaring at me because i picked her up <laughs> <laughs> yeah it sounds about sounds, cat, sounds like accurate. a cat <laughs> uh, um, okay well where can we find you online uh yes yeah, so on both instagram and twitter i am at Adri Rising, all one word. So A D R I E R I S I N G. There are links to like all of my writing and stuff on there. Yeah. And you're also a photographer. Do you want to plug? Oh, yes. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to remind you. <laughs> I, okay. Part of having ADHD is that I like start a business a legitimate business with paperwork and stuff and then I get bored with it and I forget that I own a business um, yes. <laughs> I'm also a photographer on Instagram that's at Adri Shoots A-D-R-I-E-S-H-O-O-T-S um, I post pictures there I haven't done anything in a while because I went home for Mother's Day and so I'm quarantining um, but hopefully I'll get some new work done. Yeah, perfect. Um, I'm at the goddess Corey on Instagram, on Twitter. I am very inactive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for um, health. Yeah, like, and it is beautiful. Yeah, but I do have a milkshake. It brings all the boys to the yard, and yes. there are links in it. Um, yeah lovely i'm selena the stripper you can find me on instagram at pretty boy girl you can follow my patreon at the real pretty boy girl and you can follow this podcast on instagram at ho in the no spelled hooks in the nooks like comment subscribe <laughs> rate us five stars please give us a comment a comment would truly make my day yeah um, and, and that's send it. a black sex worker some money today yes yes always for reparations and we're coming upon pride and uh please send a black trans sex worker some monies yes for pride yes amen because uh you know we're thanking our four mothers Mm -hmm. yeah that's right we don't know who threw the first brick at stonewall but it was probably a sex worker there's probably a trans person so yeah do it for Marsha. do it yeah for miss major miss major yep yeah all right well that's it have a great day you guys great day great night great week bye-bye bye